episode 39, a sequel to the Gremlins franchise. Welcome to Sequel Quest, the podcast where Adam, Jeff, and Jeremy invite you on a cinematic adventure to create prequels, sequels, and reboots to your favorite movie franchises. Joined by special guests along the way, Sequel Quest is go for launch. So let the adventure begin now. Now there's three rules you have to remember when listening to the Sequel Quest podcast. First, Keep the host out of sunlight. Sunlight will kill him. Number two, keep your listening device away from water. And whatever you do, don't feed them after midnight. They get, uh, gassy. And with that, welcome to Sequel Quest, the podcast where we discuss prequels, sequels, and reboots to our favorite movie franchises. Thanks for taking a chance on us and being here. Fresh from a trip to Chinatown, I'm one of your co-hosts, Adam. Over here in a little bamboo cage under a sheet, we have Jeremy. Okay, I guess I'm there. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Currently running for his life from some type of snowplow driving gremlins. I don't know. It's Jeff. Do I have to be the horrible racist guy? Oh, come on. Well, if you haven't guessed already, today's episode is Gremlins from 1984. Written by Chris Columbus, produced by Steven Spielberg, featuring the talents of Zach Galligan, Phoebe Cates, Hoyt Axton, Dick Miller, Corey Feldman, for the briefest of moments, Judge Reinhold, and Howie Mandel as Gizmo. And we uh, have a lot to talk about. It's got a lot of legacy to it. And we will be discussing Gremlins 2 from 1990 before pitching our sequel ideas for a third installment. But, oh no, we spilled water on Jeff. Uh, Oh no, he's multiplying. No, don't listen to that. No, horrible, (laughs) horrible. It's the only way we can explain that we have Jeff's sister on the podcast. That makes it sound like she's my clone or daughter. I did not pop out of his. Don't have to read into it that much. Who's older? Like who's the original? Who's the original? The way that it goes is at the time I was a senior, Adam was a sophomore, and then Kelly was in eighth grade. So we're all two years apart. True. That Adam's actually related to us, but he fits right in between. But let me retake that then to make it less effective (laughs) she is a professional puppeteer and uh, no doubt a future henson company alumni so hello kelly yay hello that's such a better introduction than popping out of jeff's back (laughs) (laughs) no one wants that no nobody Uh, wants that so now tell us a little bit real quick kelly about your puppeteering because you're kind of on an interesting path in life you're you're kind of a gypsy nomad spreading entertainment but you do it in a lot of different ways yeah i do i know it's interesting meeting someone new and saying what do you do for a living? And I'm a puppeteer. They look at you a little weird. Yeah, I do puppet shows mostly for kids, like assembly shows about recycling for the city. And then for the past eight years, I've been working for a puppet theater company in Portland, Oregon, and performing and traveling actually all around the Pacific Northwest up to Montana, Canada. And you also have your own puppeteering company, right? Yes. 
It's called Casey Puppetry. You can find me online. P-U-P-P-E-T-R-E-E, -E, like a tree that grows. Very uh, clever. Yeah. Now, do you have your Kermit yet? Who is your character that you've created? Yeah, I have one of my puppets. There's a guy named Hank. He's really moody. He just like whines and complains all the time. He's kind of one of my alter egos, <laughs> I kind of like to think. Now, have you based any of your puppets on Jeff? Has your brother oh. inspired any performance art? Oh, not yet. That will happen. I always said Jeff was Sam the Eagle from the Muppets. <laughs> go away, go away. You are all weirdos. Jeff? Comments about puppetry? About your, your sister's life path and whether or not you're Sam Eagle? That's been definitely a thing. The two of us have always been involved in performing arts, which is funny because neither of our parents were ever. Neither of them were in a single play or production or sang or anything. And here we do it all. And to understand my sister, I think. <laughs> was a couple of months ago, my mother retired from teaching and oh, they okay. asked both of us as her children to kind of give a little speech sort of a thing. Kelly made a puppet out of, what was it? It wasn't- It was plates. a gardening glove. A gardening glove. <laughs> And she sang a version of Jeremiah was a bullfrog in front of all of these middle school teachers. And I was just like, that's my sister. I don't have enough courage to do that. And no one else here does either, but hats off to you, Kelly. That was her. It was Felix the Hermit Crab. There you go. And he talks in an accent and he sings, Jeremiah was a bullfrog. I don't know. That is great, actually. That is a perfect segue into this film because like I'm not sure if you're both aware of this, but Rand Peltzer, the bumbling inventor, father of Billy Peltzer, our hero, Hoyt Axton wrote Jeremiah was a bullfrog. Did you know that? What? Fun fact, yeah. he's not really an actor, he's done acting, but he was actually a songwriter in the 60s, and his mom wrote Heartbreak Hotel what? for Elvis. You just blew my mind. But yep. we are talking about Gremlins and Gremlins 2, just to yes. be clear. Yeah, we, we did get off on the puppet tangent. <laughs> and and that's why yeah. we brought there in Kelly. Now, just for the briefest of recaps, if you have not seen Gremlins, if you're of a younger generation, IMDb gives it to us this way. A boy inadvertently breaks three important rules concerning his new pet and unleashes a horde of malevolently mischievous monsters on a small town. That's pretty much it. Mm -hmm. Now, the interesting thing, just the origins of this as well, we mentioned up top that Chris Columbus wrote this. He just wrote it and then and threw it out there and Steven Spielberg said this is the most original thing I've read in a long time he bought it produced it it was the first movie to come out with the Amblin entertainment logo with the little ET flying by and all that but I think huh. that's most people's dream right just like throw a script out there okay hey Steven Spielberg's gonna make it great for two now, that apparently he would yeah well like you were saying he would actually bring it when he was either auditioning or like trying to get hired on, he would bring this script and go, this is an example, not not this specifically, because he didn't think anyone would ever actually buy it. But here's an example of my writing. And then like you said, yeah, Steven Spielberg was like, well, this one's pretty good too. Yeah, and, and what? Well, yeah, from there, what's interesting is so now they collaborate on that. Chris Columbus writes The Goonies, Spielberg producing that again. So go ahead to the archives, find our pilot episode of The Goonies if you have three hours and uh, listen to that. <laughs> but the you know, more of a connection there is if you remember in The Goonies, Chunk calls the police in that movie to tell them about the Fratellis, and instead they tease him about those little green monsters that multiply when you get them wet. They don't believe him because he's he's cried wolf so many times. But I feel like that's a sequel crossover. We should have done The Goonies meet the Gremlins. We did the Goonies meet Bigfoot. We should have had the Goonies meet Gremlins. That would have been awesome. That's we perfect. Missed, we missed the boat. 
Yeah. <laughs> I, did, I did not know that. You know, I think it was just more of an Easter egg. There, it wasn't meant to be crossed. Uh, no, was, I don't know. I don't know. Chris Columbus, he was given a nod back to himself. I right. Guess, so. Yeah. <laughs> so, Gremlins, there's two versions of the creatures, as everybody knows. There's Gizmo the Mogwai, which is a docile, kind, cutie version of the Gremlins. And then you have the actual Gremlins. So if you violate the rule, right, if they eat after midnight, then they turn into actual green, scaly, malevolent gremlins. When you guys saw this movie for the first time, what was kind of your impression? Did it scare you? Was it cute? Was it interesting? Or was it just kind of like, well, I guess this is what this movie's about. Can I start off? Because this is going to set off all three of you. I've never seen either of these movies. Oh, for shame. You knew we were (laughs) doing this show today, right? Yeah. Yeah. On Amazon. I've I've seen bits and pieces from both, but never just sat down and watched them. Just never got around to it. Now, why do you think that is? Does it not feel like an urgent film? Is it just because it's such a classic, you know, it'll be around forever? (laughs) Putting words in your mouth. What would be the reason? I just haven't had time which is why these episodes aren't getting out as quickly as we'd love to get them out. That would be the main reason. Jeff. Well, for my two cents, I would say to Jeremy, there are better uses for your hour and 45 minutes than watching either of these films. I'm afraid. Oh, dear. Uh, For me, to be honest, I had seen Gremlins 2 several times, but the first time I saw Gremlins 1 was about eight hours ago. And um, I was severely disturbed. I almost stopped watching it, but then I kind of forced myself to finish it. And when I was thinking about it afterwards, about why it troubled me so much this actually was released the same weekend as ghostbusters and oh yeah this was definitely in a time where the horror comedy genre was becoming very very big and so all of a sudden from that perspective when i compare this to movies like ghostbusters or beetlejuice it has a little bit more of a frame of reference but at least for me personally the two things that didn't work was that unlike ghostbusters and beetlejuice each in their own way they balanced the horror with the comedy i don't feel like gremlins did gremlins was either too much horror or ridiculous comedy and those two things were so extreme i think that's what some of the critics love about it is that they say it's so fresh because it does that but it lost me in that divide well it it is an uneven film that's for sure i actually showed my son the first 20 minutes okay so i said the first 20 minutes are fine that's what made Exactly. Drew everybody in. You get, yeah, it's all Gizmo yeah. and life is good. As soon as Corey Feldman shows up and tips the water over on Gizmo <laughs> from the art table, then you can't show it to anybody because it gets a little little gross, a little crazy. But yeah, it's like this idyllic town, you know, and everybody's that knows each other. There's the town grump, Mrs. Deagle. There's Billy's boss at the bank and his rival for his girlfriend Kate's affections. And it's Phoebe Cates and Judge Reinhold back together after Fast Times at Ridgemont High. But you feel fine and then as soon as the gremlins eat after midnight the science teacher is given one to study then yeah just it starts getting grotesque and scary and yeah as a kid it terrified it was a horror movie to me like definitely this was very scary like along the lines of leprechaun in my mind as a kid (laughs) at least like where no this crazy small creatures are gonna now murder me in my sleep like (laughs) 
I don't know. And also, it came out when I was born, 1984. Yeah. So the same thing as Jeff. I don't think I ever saw the first one until just recently. But I remember the second one on TV several times. So I'm not sure how they edited it to make it appropriate for TV or if they needed to. But that was my idea of Gremlins. Just crazy and funny and not how dark the first one was because the first one I just wanted nothing to do with. Now watching it, I can appreciate, I, I do actually really like the dark comedy movies. I kind of seek those out a little bit. So I can appreciate that. Yeah. yeah, well, that was kind of the controversy at the time when it came out because people in the ads, you saw Gizmo and you're just like, oh, this is cute little furry creature. And then from there it changes. But Joe Dante, the director, he said that they had a test screening and this mother was dragging her daughter out you know like cursing him and say like how could you inflict this on children da, da, da. and then her daughter broke away from her and ran back in the theater to keep watching it so it's like <laughs> the parent is assuming that it's terrifying the child but it's actually really engaging which is kind of where i always fell things that are scary i was afraid of them but i really wanted to see them the only thing i ever ran away okay. from was child's play child's play freaked me out yeah but the gremlins i was like okay yes they look evil they are evil and okay i'll accept that but they're also living cartoon characters characters in certain scenes now the craziest moment to me is obviously the kitchen attack where billy's mom starts hearing the gremlins after they've hatched from their cocoons it goes into the kitchen and now she's being bombarded by she's getting plates thrown at her she's getting you know blender like i oh my gosh uh, the grossest one is when she shoves him in the microwave in the microwave oh for me and when i was watching that scene I felt bad for the gremlins. I don't think the gremlins were the bad guy. The mom was the bad guy. The gremlins didn't do anything to her. All she did, she came in and she saw a gremlin eating her cookies and decided to blend it in the blender. She's a sadist. I mean, like, I don't think that will hold up in a court of law. They were invading her home. Who cares? If you saw a rat, if you saw a rat, a horrible, disgusting rat on your table, would you really throw it into the blender and blend it up? That's (laughs) I'm telling you. And yeah, the gremlins. I was thinking about making an entire sequel that was going to be called Gremlins: The Revenge, where the gremlins are like, seriously, seriously, what are you doing to us? Like, we're just troublemakers. You're not supposed to butcher us and blow up an entire movie theater just to murder us all. Wow, Jeff is a pro-Gremlin activist. Well, because if you think about it, and that was my thing too, I think they said in the end, like, one human dies, and it's Mr. Potter, essentially. He's the only human that dies. How many gremlins die in this movie? All of them. (laughs) 60? Exactly. They are butchering. This should be called Gremlin Slaughter. Because that's what the yeah. movie's about, <laughs> killing gremlins. <laughs> well, you hear that they, it was originally going to be so much darker. Right. The stories of the, like, the original version, like the mom was going to get her head chopped off and they were going to yeah. eat the dog. There are they, two they, people. Yeah. I don't know how mm-hmm. the science teacher died. Oh, that's he true. Got yeah. He got syringe in the butt death. But. <laughs> <laughs> and he got his hand eaten partially, we assume. Maybe. I don't know. Or maybe yeah. he was just like, hey, like, why are you touching my hand? We don't know exactly what happened. Yeah. Now, the thing is, you're saying that, you know, all these gremlins died and maybe not in the wrong. They were just being a little mischievous. But the th- person who might agree with you is a, a gentleman named Chris Wallace, who was the special effects gremlin designer. And he is a puppeteer as well as a, a special effects person. Obviously, these were puppets. This There was some stop motion in this movie, but mainly puppets. And through her channels, Kelly 
was actually able to score an interview uh, with Chris Wallace, which was pretty fantastic to talk to the Yay. father of the Gremlins. And this, I was yeah, so the, excited. Yeah, he lives in Portland, Oregon. I friended him on Facebook a while ago, just wishful thinking, and it paid off because <laughs> he ended up being a very nice guy and was very open and talking all about his experiences. He also worked on Raiders of the Lost Ark. He's actually the guy that did the whole melting face thing. Uh-huh. which you also see in the first Gremlins because that's kind of how the main spike dies. The melting yeah. face effect is like pretty much the exact same effect. Yeah. So he started, I think, doing more makeuping and costuming as well because I know he was also in Return of the Jedi, did some of the background characters. And so I just asked him some questions about his experience. And it was for him, his first movie, that he got to curate and bring in all the puppeteers and pretty much was in charge of creating all these creatures and creating the design and creating creating what exactly they were going to do, including thinking that they were going to be even more dark and do more things. And that's the thing with puppets is always like what you can dream and what you want a puppet to do, but really what they can do or what looks good in a movie. Yeah, now he came up with the Mogwai design, kind of helped refine it. Originally he said the Mogwais, they were brown animals, you know, is essentially how they were laid out. And he had one concept that was based on these little uh, creatures that live in Asia, kind of these are monkey ears. I had creatures. to look that up. They're the ones with those giant eyes. They're really adorable. Google the Tarsiers. They're really cute. <laughs> yeah, check it out. And there, there will be a picture of the article on the website. Get the full interview there. They said a pre-production stuff started changing. And they said, you know what? Originally, Gizmo was going to turn into Stripes. So he was going to be yeah. the bad gremlin. But then they decided, no, they kind of need a a hero he's got to be billy's friend he's going to be there in the whole movie so now he had to be an actual character and a bit more personality more human and what came down to and this is actually uh, supplemented with a, a comment i heard from a director joe dante he said basically we had a very short amount of time and we had to run everything by steven spielberg so he had a little dog that was brown and white and so they just kind of took that concept then took the little circle from pd the dog from the r gang little rascals world and just kind of mixed it all up and then you got gizmo all of a sudden so kind of an interesting path that it took go check it out because he shared so many great stories in addition to the sound of the gremlins where that all came from how that happened organically on the set and a couple other things so be sure to check that out for yourself and kelly thank you again I was definitely so excited because definitely and it's same with my love of Henson is I try to picture what it's like underneath the camera and all the things that you can do with puppets that you can't do with CGI and he talks too about the difference between using either puppetry or even robotic puppets versus CGI and lastly I'll mention real quick he actually did the fly effects in the Cronenberg fly from 1986 and then he went on to direct the fly 2 so go back and check out our fly 3 episode as well and we'll maybe send that his way eventually here hey the article's up by the way (laughs) <laughs> Tell us what you thought about the Fly 3. Is that where you would have taken it, sir? But with that, we talked also a lot about Gremlins 2. Seems like that's everybody's starting place. In 1990, six years after the original film, they came back to Joe Dante, who finally relented because they did ask him after Gremlins was a hit, however controversial it was. They said, will you come back? We'll do Gremlins in Vegas. We'll do, you know, he just felt like it was done. It had a nice concrete ending. So let's just leave it there. And he was also 
very tired from dealing with puppets and the difficulties of all of that. So he did not agree to do a sequel until that time came. And when they said, do you want to do it? He said, I'll only do it if you give me complete creative control and a bigger budget and I can just do whatever I want. And from the opening of that film, which starts out with Looney Tunes, it's the Looney Tunes logo and Bugs and Daffy. Like, you know what you're in for. This is not a fully inspired sequel to the original. It's going to take it in a whole different direction just with some similar characters. Did you guys have a favorite part of Gremlins 2 of all the wackiness that's in there? I always think of actually the very, very end. It stuck out in my mind is there's the lady gremlin. Oh, and yeah. And the wedding dress. Yeah, it's, it's called the new batch, right? And yeah. the whole concept is that Billy is now working in an office building run by a Donald Trump-inspired character called Daniel Clamp, who's played awesomely by uh, John Glover. He's just hilarious. He's so oblivious, but focused, and nothing phases him. He's got crazy monsters running around his building, and he's just he just deals with it like it's another problem he has to handle that day. But basically, there's also a genetics lab that is renting space in this office building, and Billy is now working there and he and Kate live in the city trying to make lives for themselves. And now this genetics lab, they happen to find Gizmo on the street. So at a certain point, the gremlins, of course, Gizmo gets wet. They multiply. And now at the genetics lab, they break in. They're all drinking these different serums, which change them into any number of mutated gremlins, right? Kelly had the lady gremlin. Who was your favorite? Uh, I don't know that I have a favorite per se. I think the one that stood out was the spider gremlin, which I think is the boss at the end. And that was very creepy. He's kind of like the punk rock gremlin. And then you have the bat gremlin. The really uh, smart one, the smart guy. Yeah. Brainy one. Brain Gremlin, voiced by Tony Randall. Very funny. As a kid, he was the one I connected with the most. I don't know why. I just thought he was hilarious because he was so proper. Then you have Vegetable Gremlin. And uh, the one that I appreciate the most now is Electro Gremlin. The Electro Gremlin, he gets trapped inside a phone and put on hold for all of the movie until the end when he becomes the secret weapon that kills all the gremlins. So, anybody want to take a guess my favorite moment of meta weirdness that happens? Wait, were there mud wrestling gremlins? <laughs> uh, close, close. Oh, bring it no, back. No. Just had Hulk to make Hogan. sure. Hulk Hogan oh. shows up oh, in this. A fantastic moment where the film breaks and you see gremlins in the projection room. And I remember being in the theater when this came out and just watching all that happen. You're like, what the? And they're doing hand puppets and everything, shadow puppets. And all of a sudden, somebody comes out and complains and the theater manager comes to Hulk Hogan who's there watching the movie. And he He's like, you think the Grubsters can take on the Hulkster? It's, it's a great moment. And then VHS, when it came out, they changed that part because obviously it wasn't film. And so they changed it to where the tracking and everything got messed up. And then they cut to a John Wayne movie. And then they have John Wayne fight the gremlins of shootouts and stuff. And he tells them to get back in their own movie. Like, That's so, so brilliant. Yeah. Can you do that with a DVD or a Blu-ray? <laughs> Yeah, what would it be now? Could have to like skip and jump around or something. The one thing I want to bring up is in Australia, there were Gremlins theme park rides. They were Warner Brothers theme parks. And what they do is they would sit you down and show you clips from old Warner Brothers movies, like outtakes and things. And then all of a sudden, 
like in Gremlins 2, it breaks and the person comes, I'm sorry, there's Gremlins. They've taken over the building. We have to get out of here. So they like, <laughs> they put you in these cars and you, you are watching them destroy the old movies and screening rooms. So the Gremlins are just causing mayhem. And the weirdest part of it though is, okay, Gremlins theme park ride. That makes sense. They're cultural icons. But there's an animatronic Beetlejuice that goes with you, like your guide to help you beat the Gremlins. <laughs> and then in Germany, any idea? Who's the most famous puppet of the 80s? Oh, E.T.? No, Alf. Oh, Alf. <laughs> Alf is helping you to destroy it. It is the, they, you can watch them online. Go on YouTube and look up Warner Brothers Gremlins Ride. It is pretty wild to watch. I don't think they exist anymore, but uh-huh. we're around all through the 90s. So, all right. Well, are we ready to get into what could be the actual Gremlins 3? I think we're ready. Right. Who would like to start with their pitch? Oh, I want to hear one of you guys go first. That's <laughs> <laughs> fine. Jeff, tell us about your Gremlins 3. All right. So mine would be Gremlins Origins Gizmo. And it would start with a voiceover talking about throughout time, there have existed two great rivals, and that would be the Mogwai and the Gramians. And it would kind of have a very similar feel, hopefully, to X-Men Origins, where it would start with the Civil War and World War One and everything like that, where we would see these two different groups, the one Mogwais that look like Gizmo and the Gramians that look like Stripe and all the rest of them. And throughout time, the Gramians are always trying to break things and cause trouble, whereas the Mogwais are their opposite. So they're always trying to stop them and everything like that. Kind of the bulk of the movie would, or at least the first third of the movie would take place during World War II, where that was kind of their heyday, where they were making planes crash and they were doing all that sort of stuff like that. And every night, the Mogwais would always kind of sneak in because they love the humans. So they'd kind of sneak in to sleep nearby the humans, whereas all the Gramians would go into the bar and drink until the late hours of the night. And then one day, everything changes because one pilot who would be, what's his name, Frank? Whatever the crazy guy's name, the racist guy from the movie. Murray, uh, Murray Futterman. Murray. He happens to see a gremlin on his wing and starts telling everybody that there are these things he calls gremlins. And so then every time someone sees that now, they freak out and they start, you know, shimmying their wings or something. And so both the Gramians and the Mogwais keep falling off and falling to their deaths. So all of a sudden, all of the Gramians and the Mogwais keep dying off and dying off and dying off until finally there's only two of them left that we know as Gizmo and Stripe. And then after the war ends, they end up quote unquote joining like a black ops force. And, uh, but they're not actually fighting with, you know, they're sneaking along with them. Stripes is still kind of getting up to no good, whereas Gizmo is still kind of battling him. But then through the years of, of this special ops sort of thing, they end up working together and helping out and they end up forming this bond. So then they eventually end up at one mission. They get captured by a young doctor. What was his name? Catheter. A young doctor catheter <laughs> who does experiments on them. And finally, they have to battle his greatest experiment, which is a muted Deadpool. And so Deadpool has to fight them. They, of course, (laughs) defeat Deadpool by cutting off his head. Um, But Stripes has to sacrifice. Uh Uh-oh. Did we lose him? Did we lose Jeff? 
cliffhanger. Deadpool's his body <laughs> as a way of saving him with the side effect of this surgery being that he would now be vulnerable to water and to light and to food after midnight. But he realizes he can't live with his other half because he is the yin to stripes is yang. Wow. <laughs> We're, we're mashing it up with the worst of the X-Men films. Well, that's the point, is that because again, with not only the first, not only the first one, but especially the second one was definitely about spoofing. So why not spoof again X-Men Origins? We're gonna spoof with Gremlin Origins. Oh, that's great. Man, that was cool though. The two warring factions, and then they have to be combined in the end. Love how you worked in the concept of gremlins in World War II that pilots used to blame problems that would happen with their mechanics on gremlins. Mr. Futterman actually has a whole little speech about that when he gets drunk in the first film. Yeah, I had heard actually that with the Looney Tunes ties in the second movie in the beginning that there was actually a Looney Tunes movie. Oh, yeah. That kind of was about that with the gremlins on the plane. Bugs Bunny, yeah, has some issues with the gremlins. And if you think about it too, they also kind of did it in Twilight Zone and Twilight Zone, the movie with terror at 30,000 feet or whatever it's called. Monster on the wing. <laughs> so gremlins have been around. Yeah, I had thoughts about origin too, but I didn't go that way. Kind of more of the opposite. So 27 years later from the last time we saw them, we know that in the last movie that they still exist. There's still some that are alive. So they haven't disappeared completely. You know, you hear the laughter at the credits and the lady gremlin and everything. So it's Christmas season, like the first movie. Why not bring it back to the Christmas season? And Gizmo has a family with his own little... Mugwai wife and Mugwai children because they never said they couldn't procreate and one of his kids is kind of a rebellious there's a whole scene I'm just picture inside this little Mugwai house and you can see this like small little furniture and everything's made for them and their little life <laughs> and then there's one of his little Mugwai children is doesn't want to fit in and he wants to be a rebel and Gizmo obviously does not approve so I think I'm calling him Gadget Gadget's a little kid I'm just gonna call him Gadget yeah. so Gadget runs away all upset about his overbearing father and get to New York City where he's exploring the city he sees all these things where he's like confused for a dog and some child thinks he's a toy and the little girl picks him up and they goes in the subway and the subway breaks down all these people get out but little Gadget hears the cackles and the noises and and he sees little shadows of a gremlin and goes and follows them and goes and finds this whole world of the gremlins. And I just like this idea of a whole kind of society, the ape style, and like one of the sequels where there's a whole underground yeah. world kind of a thing. So the underground gremlin world of these gremlins that have survived, have reproduced, have been there for almost 30 years. There's schools and hair salons, movie theaters. <laughs> I like to leave the movie theaters playing Planet of the Apes just because it seems kind of perfect. <laughs> I don't even know. I can picture like there's even foreign dignitaries like gremlins from around the world have somehow come to visit or I don't know. I just <laughs> want this to be a very in-depth scene. Lots of gremlins. I think I'm going to call the movie even more gremlinier. Gremlinier? <laughs> That's not a word. Yeah. So they're all down there and the little gadget hears a plan that they want to take over New York City. And it just so happens to be the longest night of the year, which is right around December 22nd or so. So they're going to use that longest night of the year, go up New York City and take over. So they come up through pipes and through pools and through the sewer. And there's like all these scenes of them coming out and terrorizing 
doing the whole big old gremlin thing, taking over. Kind of got the idea from the brain gremlin. Mm -hmm. He has this whole speech that's like, the fine points, diplomacy, compassion, standards, manners, tradition. That's what we're reaching towards. We like to believe that, you know, given a chance, they would establish their own wonderful little society. But they wanted to go farther. So they go out, terrorize New York City. I can picture a shot of the Statue of Liberty has now been turned into a gremlin. They're swimming in the Hudson River, getting wet and multiplying. And then, kind of along the lines of Jeff, you're saying of, why do we have to kill them all? I was having a hard time ending it. But I like the idea of Corey Feldman having some sort of guest appearance. <laughs> yes. He might be the president. Wow. Because <laughs> why not? <laughs> Them going to Broadway and Gadget being in there and trying to get all the gremlins and talking to them because we know that their favorite movie is Snow White to get them do a Broadway production of Snow White. And so there's a whole big Broadway production and audience of all the gremlins doing a Snow White Broadway review. <laughs> and then possibly President Feldman blows it up or, or, or not. Or it's a raging success and it's the best show to ever happen and the next election comes up and they vote a gremlin for president the end wow wow very progressive <laughs> my goodness I good. can go either way. wow no that's great i love this gremlin politics gremlin society <laughs> i also love the visual the concept of gizmo being like kind of an old middle-aged mogwai now and he's like sitting on a little armchair and he's got his paper and he's just like ah oh, this kid <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> kind of like one of those cartoons where you don't need words there's just like a long maybe 20 minute scene of them arguing and their little gibberish so it's a lot like the star wars holiday special where it's basically have come on adam you don't talk family. about the holiday special <laughs> never speak of the holiday special never Fine. speak of the holiday it's, special it's pretty amazing it anyway I'm just picturing yeah. as many, of course, I'm a puppet purist, so as many puppets as possible. A fair amount of hand puppets and CGI, so there could be just hundreds and hundreds of them. Maybe even a giant Ghostbusters, what's the marshmallow guy? Stay Puft Marshmallow Man, Stay Puft yes. Marshmallow... Gremlin. Gremlin? I don't know. Oh. Getting wild. See, that's there's so many possibilities. Too far. I know, too far. Well, my film is a little bit more contained. So mine is called Gremlins 3 Terror at Sea. Mm. You like that? Huh? All right. Mm. So one of the surviving gremlins for the first film, the Bat Gremlin, was covered in cement and hardened on top of a cathedral in New York City. He is awoken when they're doing a renovation. They take down this terrifying gargoyle and ship it off to China. So he's on a cruise ship and he's hastily packed. He falls open, the concrete breaks, and he escapes and flies out to sea and finds a cruise ship, which just happens to be carrying Billy and Kate Peltzer, along with everybody's favorite mogwai, Gizmo. And the Peltzers are celebrating their 25th wedding anniversary. Kate's been harboring some resentment towards Gizmo because he always seems to interrupt the romantic moments and the stress of keeping Gizmo dry, which Rand Peltzer did create a little wetsuit for him to help keep him dry, but yeah. You know, they got to feed him on the proper schedule, all these things taking a toll on Billy, too. So Gizmo's starting to feel unloved. He's feeling like a third wheel. But meanwhile, the Bat Gremlin terrorizes a few passengers that are out for a moonlight stroll on the deck. And at the same time, Gizmo has taken off by himself and he hears his little whistled tune. And he's wondering where it's coming from. So he's going through the air vents. He catches sight of a, a bamboo cage in the quarters of the ship's chef, a Christina Wong is her name. And 
she's revealed to be carrying a female mogwai. So Gizmo is instantly smitten. He makes his way to the cage. They have a little meet cute and they start flirting. And meanwhile, Billy has set up a special dinner for Kate and they're in a private dining room area. And wouldn't you know what? The bat gremlin interrupts their candlelit dinner, knocks it over, starts to fire, sets off the sprinklers. He gets covered in water and takes off into the engine room and starts multiplying. And they all start having a conversation realizing we know it's about to happen. We've got to do something. So meanwhile, again, they come to Gizmo, who's wooing. Her name is Maymay, the female Mogwai. And the gremlins, because the bat gremlin was a mutant, they start to mutate in different ways because the bat gremlins have been snacking on seafood from the buffet. And so these third generation gremlins are taking on characteristics of those sea creatures. So we get a crab gremlin, we get squid gremlin, we get shark gremlin, swordfish gremlin. They break out throughout the ship. They start wreaking havoc everywhere. The security teams tried to stop them. They're just too powerful. So there is a way to breed stronger, larger, purebred mogwai. And so they basically give Gizmo and Meme a couple minutes alone and they <laughs> breed these five children that are each bored with these special skills. You know, you got a tough guy, you got a smart guy, you got whatever guy. So they've all developed their powers. They don't speak necessarily, but you know, they each come with their gift to the table. And so now the Coast Guard arrives to rescue the disabled cruise ship, but the Bat Gremlin, basically he makes a break for it. He ditches his offspring and they all get destroyed. And now the Mogwai's wearing dark goggles along with their human counterparts. They're racing in a speedboat, chasing the Bat Gremlin. And he gets harpooned and dragged out. There's a hungry orca that eats the Bat Gremlin, so they're saved. Ultimately, they land on an island and Gizmo and family is realizing the trouble they cause. They find a nearby cave for their home. There's heartfelt goodbyes. So now they're going to have Gremlin Island. And there's an end credits scene where we see Robert Picardo's character is also on the island living with the she-gremlin like Robinson Crusoe with his beard and <laughs> tattered clothing and building his bamboo shelters. And uh, that's the end. Gremlins 3, Terror at Sea. Oh boy. All right. It is time for the vote. Adam, which pitch do you place your vote? Well, I really enjoyed Jeff's and the meta concept of putting it in the X-Men Origins universe. I think that's great. But I feel like Kelly's, it's so open-ended with potential there for what we could put into this gremlin society that I think I'm going to vote for hers. Yeah, I'd go with Kelly's as well, especially after the second one. I think what people enjoyed so much about the second one was seeing all of the gremlins just being gremlins and like hanging out with each other. (laughs) They're not actually being gremlin-y. They're not causing havoc. They're just being wacky or whatever we could talk about as we go further if we go with this one but i'm a little bit hesitant about doing an entire movie with characters that can't speak and i don't know if that's quite you'd want to go for but granted we have a minions movie so (laughs) minions there is always another character either way i'm voting for yeah. kelly's movie Let's just leave it <laughs> kelly where do you place your vote i like origin stories and i wanted to go there so actually i would i might choose jeff hmm. oh. is that still nepotism what is that oh no, I, that's good. Well, I vote for her and it's cool but she votes for me <laughs> <laughs> all right so we got well, jeff uh, I, I think we are gonna have to go with kelly's Congratulations. So, Gremlins 3, Gremlinier. Grem- okay. More Gremlinier. Grem- the Gremlinist? <laughs> I don't know. More Gremlins. Gremlininicus. Grem- 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 Grem-
Graham 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 Graham. <laughs> so obviously the question that you were raising, right? Is it Gadget's point of view throughout? You're just experiencing through physical interaction, physical mm. sight gags and everything else. Or do we feel like we need some sort of human character that yeah. is involved? What's well, the boat there? What's your I thought? I feel like the tough thing is too with... I mean, especially in the first one, it gets a little better in the second one. And, you know, hats off to the guy that designed the puppets. I mean, they had so many puppets they were using yeah. all at the same time that the puppets themselves weren't necessarily as intricate as you could compare them to like anything on Farscape, I guess, would be like the most technically advanced puppets that have been made where they you know, can make all these facial expressions and stuff like that, you're kind of limited into what you can do. I mean, these days, if we wanted to go all out and give it like a Henson-type budget and that sort of a thing. But otherwise, yeah, if you use the puppets that were used in the first two, I feel like the level of emotion they can convey is somewhat limited. That's, that's very true. Or it has to be like a mix of the two. In the last Star Wars, they kind of were starting to incorporate actually more puppets, but then sometimes they'll CGI the face. They can do kind of mixes of the two. Makes me also think of like the Henson TV show Dinosaurs. Well, those were costumes, but they still would use like robotics on the face. Yeah. With the puppets and gremlins, whenever they did like close-up shots, they actually had to make larger puppets because it's so hard to get all those details in the face when they're holding gizmo that's one small little puppet but then when you actually see it close up it's a completely different larger more detailed well and the other part too which and i feel like with your story kelly the personal connection we were supposed to have as the audience was going to be with gadget right gizmo's son Mm -hmm. he was the one that we were going to connect with so to kind of experience the conflict through him. Because I get the, the thought is you can't really explore the gremlin world with a human, right? The minute a human shows up, then it's going to be mayhem. Right. So, well, unless that's why, unless he's captured for some reason. Like maybe he and Gadget are traveling together and Gadget has to be the one to free him or something like that. I don't know. Well, my initial thought was, okay, well, what if there was a parallel story? So what if, the Peltzers have a kid who is also kind of disenchanted and trying being a little rebellious. And oh. he, you know, he gets involved, but he's kind of like all about the gremlin way of life. And they like him because he'll help them out on the surface, you know? So he's getting involved with them and being trouble. But uh, obviously, you know, okay. he's aware of Gadget and Gizmo and all of them. But yeah. So somewhere along the line, the gremlins hold him captive, then try to make Billy cause something to happen that'll allow them their takeover or whatever. I don't know, yeah. like, or that's where like the it. uprising comes. Mm-hmm. Billy comes in to invade to save his son and they see it as an act of war. And then now the gremlin general, you know, to the Hudson! They all go out there <laughs> and jump in and multiply, you know. <laughs> Imagine this with puppeteers like going yeah. on. Yeah, of course. Uh, not stop it. it, Kelly, with your pitch. I feel like the whole gremlin society, you probably would spend a half hour oh, there. Yes, please. I really want to see like a hair salon little kids like in this weird school and like what would they be learning kind of like you know what would the little gremlin be writing on the board like bart simpson or so it's all safety tips about stay away from microwaves stay away from food (laughs) processing you know i just feel like there'd be so many hilarious moments and i especially yeah and yeah of course there's always like some sort of satire you could put in of the modern day you know so you could actually have just like a bunch of memes that the 
gremlins could bring to life. Like that would be hilarious. The question is though, do we like that idea of having the human counterpart that is there, but is again on the side of the gremlins or do we like it? I mean, I, I actually really like the concept of just taking it a full Mogwai perspective and like literally we just see it through Gadget's eyes, but I can see how they wouldn't be able to relate because a lot of times it is about the gremlins interacting with humans or terrorizing humans, which is where the comedy is. I like the idea of the simultaneous character without being too young. Cause like it, it yeah. depending on also, does this go PG or PG 13? What are we, you know, that, well, I think you, with, with, with the history of the films, I mean, Rebels was the second film that really caused PG 13 to right. be created. Right. Raiders and then yeah, so Chris Wallace, thank you for creating the PG thirteen rating with your grotesque creations. So I mean, I feel like it has to be PG-13 because you want it to be able to have a little bit of edge. I feel like maybe not yeah. as extreme as the first film, but along the lines of the second, but not as silly. I almost wish this movie was being produced by Pixar. Mm. Wouldn't it be like written and produced by Pixar without the CG? Great job storytelling. So yeah, at first um, I was even thinking like Tim Burton-esque. What would be his take on it? Again, thinking along those dark comedy well, lines. And funny you say that he was actually one of Spielberg's choices. He had not ever made a feature film so spielberg said now nah, we, we can't really trust it to him which this i think is super snapper yeah <laughs> but that's that's amazing and so maybe tim burton is the one to bring in on this yeah I, could, I don't know. I, could see I feel like it's definitely it. his wheelhouse. It is, yeah. Yeah. Now, the other question I have, though, is so we're not killing all the gremlins this time. At the end, there's some sort of diplomacy that takes place, and we integrate gremlins into society. Do you guys really I, think yeah. that's possible? Does that take away too much of the humor? To me, it's a hilarious prospect in itself, because that just leaves it open for the next sequel, right? And you do a quick montage at the end of gremlins getting jobs and working in a cubicle. <laughs> you know, <laughs> <laughs> to some Wall Street stockbroker. Running for Seems president. Seems like there's a lot. Yeah. Do you have any opposition to these concepts? Um, I don't know about integrating them fully into everyday life. You are I, a I could bigot, see sir. attempting, <laughs> but that would be the comedy of the failures of integrating them. But that's what I'm saying. Like that would that would be a focus of the film, but I just wonder if you want to leave that as the dangling concept at the end. Do you want to leave it that way? Or would it be better to say, you know what? They just reach a peace and gremlins decide we don't want to live with you people. Like maybe they decide that we're the monsters. You know, they're just like, we're going back underground and leave us alone or we'll be back. It's almost like the gremlins have the upper hand at the end. Be like a commentary on humanity or do we want them to be villains of some sort? My question was the conflict. Because it sounds like, Kelly, you started off with them wanting to come up and there's the horror or whatever scary element of them coming up through the toilets and stuff like that but why i think we just want to expand they've been down there forever they've been hiding out and they're like now it's our time to take over new york city but for what purpose do they not have enough room they want to grow what if it has something to do with culture because we're talking about culture you could do that as the commentary they feel Mm. like you guys are you could make it a political thing like are you gonna vote for that person for president well then (laughs) we'll show you how to vote or you're really going to vote for that, you know, person on American Idol or, you know, <laughs> that's what you call dancing on Dancing with the Stars? I like that. I like that. They're so upset by some TV shows. Like something small and trivial actually is even more funny. Yeah, I, I like that. I mean, because like you said, Kelly, with your Broadway show <laughs> concept, 
Starbucks Ooh, instead of white. Yeah. Well, so if it's like that's what they have a problem with is singing competitions between American Idol and The Voice or whatever. And so <laughs> they come in and everyone's like, oh my gosh, they're going to kill us all. No, no, we just want to show you how to properly do a singing competition. Oh my God, they do a singing <laughs> And so <Yeah>. like... <laughs> We could, if you want to go my whole route about uh, gremlins' rights, where people start killing them, and they're like, what are you doing? We're just trying to sing. (laughs) And that's the conclusion. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that definitely plugs into something everybody can relate to. They just want to sing. I like that twist. The only thing is, I still feel like there needs to be a militant gremlin. There's a guy who's got bigger ambitions. So like maybe he leads some sort of uprising. Because I feel like there does have to be a different tension. Unless we make it totally ridiculous that it's like the gremlins win the singing competition. And they, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) (laughs) They get to, you know, uh, occupy a certain borough of New York or something. Right. What if that's Um, how they prove that they're on the up and up? Is that they're the ones that defeat their own militant gremlins okay so they save the day so there is like gremlin versus gremlin violence (laughs) and it should be billy peltzer's kid then is one of the finalists on american idol or whatever it's called so he's part of the people being taken hostage and if we do american idol the 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 ryan seacrest character could be played by Corey feldman yeah it's a little bit more lighthearted. but now the question is are we still keeping it focused on gadget then i don't know if we're dropping the whole storyline that you had about billy's son and gizmo's son and uh-huh. that whole thing because for me and it was never the point i don't think of gremlins but I mean, when you think about it, you've got Gizmo that's kind of the passive quote-unquote good one, and then you've got the gremlins, which are the chaotic ones. But it's kind of that idea that I was kind of thinking where it's you have these two sides of yourself, and so it's almost that they complete each other. So it could be that that's Gadget's thing, is that Gadget needs to embrace his spontaneity that the gremlins actually bring out. Well, I was wondering about that because my other thought in the back of my brain was, should he be tempted to become a gremlin to get oh. like all the craziness and He'd the, and the pizzazz? Uh-oh. Well, he's a rebe- if he's like rebellious teenager, it's kind of that whole thing. Exactly. Yeah. So like, does, you know, does <laughs> yeah. he get into that situation, but he you know stops himself at the last minute? Maybe, and maybe even more he's so. He's sister that catches him. Or like, what if he does get changed into a gremlin and Gizmo and family oh. have to accept him? For his, oh. his, his choice. He became a gremlin because that's what he wanted to be. But maybe he's not a terrible, evil gremlin, you know, but he just is now a little wilder, a little crazy. What do you guys think about that? It, it always felt a little weird that all the gremlins come out of Gizmo. But yeah, he's not like, obviously, their father. But they literally <laughs> pop out of his back. Yeah. But it feels like, feels bad. Yeah, they disrespect him. They pin him to like a dartboard. Like they're so mean to him. <laughs> He's practically your father. So it sounds like we got rebellious gadget. He wants to be on that show. <laughs> he finds the gremlin society. He still get to experience all that. He finds out just how uninhibited they are, how open they are, how excited they are about life. And they explain that they love the show, but they hate all the finalists and how it's being run. And so they're going to go and take over and enter their own gremlin finalists of the show and they show them how it's done so again there's that happening but then they're being attacked so we said that there would be kind of the misunderstanding that's the one part where i my concept i guess of having the militant gremlins a little shaky so he's like the simon cowell character 
<laughs> that could be the end of the movie. Well, but I was kind of thinking about even making it where, and I feel like that's what the second one, they didn't try and do it, but that's kind of what it ended up being where you liked the gremlins more in the second one because they were just silly and goofy and everything. Because it felt like in the first ones, the Mogwais were order and the gremlins were chaos. They were the ones causing trouble and everything like that. Again, I didn't think they were really malicious. Maybe you were supposed to think they were. You know, some of them were, I guess. But So that could be the thing, too. We make more and more Gizmo the serious one. So he's got to be serious all the time because Mogwais are always serious. And so being a gremlin means embracing the lighter side, the funny side. But then you can have the militant ones that take that too far into chaos or into we need to kill everyone who's serious i don't know. I guess that's where we run into the problem so it's like is the focus on the show and the singing competition or does that become the focal point of the resolution of the conflict or is it just something that happens and then there's also this other story but i feel like that's what it has to be it's like even though they're militant they're still gremlins and they're wild so if you could appeal to their wild side so basically you know they get to compete also and so they're battling musically as opposed to continuing the mayhem like they probably will have like a sequence of them you know wreaking havoc and all that but then they decide or if you win this competition you win this and then i feel like that's where gadget decides the only way i can win is if i become a gremlin type thing like he feels like he needs that he doesn't trust in his own sweet singing voice you know his sweet whistling voice whatever he has you know or maybe he becomes a gremlin and Maybe that's his act where in the middle of the act, he's la, 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 la. And then he splashes himself with water so that he can hit the low notes or whatever. <laughs> then he has a chorus behind him and he, they're all harmonizing with him. But I feel like, again, the resolution at the end, we probably don't have to have the Billy's son in this unless we do. I mean, again, he doesn't have to maybe have the same parallel story or he, or he can. I feel like, because that was the thing in the second one where they gave the one gremlin the brain or whatever so he could explain things. How do you explain their motivations to the audience? That's if, true. If they can't yeah. speak English outside of grunts. I was thinking yeah. all they've done for 27 years is watch TV. And so through oh. TV, they've learned yeah. how to speak. Yeah, that makes sense. But that's also why they're such critics of everything on TV. Or- <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's a critic. Yeah, at the end. Because I love, like, Adam, like you said, in the second movie, when they do the meta bit and make it seem like they've taken over the movie theater, kind of end with them just going through all the TV shows and taking over, like getting them bouncing through various TV shows, Fox News and... Yeah, that'd be, that'd be pretty fun. Yes. <laughs> the Gremlin Girls. Director wise, we talked about Tim Burton earlier. Do we think with this type of story now, is he still the right person? I mean, he did Sweeney Todd. He's done a little bit of a musical. I, I think he went away from silly after Mars Attacks was horrid. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I don't, I don't think doesn't work anymore. I mean, Joe Dante could come back and he said he'd be willing. He said, there's nothing happening on it currently, but if they wanted to invite me to do it, I'd be flattered. And, you know, he did so much, the whole Broadway production, essentially, you know, the big musical number in the second film. So I'd be fine with Joe Dante coming back. He could keep the same sensibility. I mean, as far as like casting, it, it doesn't sound like we need to do too much because we didn't create new human characters, but maybe from the perspective of singers or comedians that are known to also sing because i'm thinking of somebody you know like a lot of the girls in pitch perfect there's so much of that is comedy you know most
most of the story and the plot and stuff. So I feel like you could get a few of those gals in there and add to it. I love Rebel Wilson from yeah. about Pitch Perfect. That's the that's yes. the one I would grab from that movie. You know, get she some good comic relief in there. <laughs> or do a voice of a gremlin, like Jeff's idea of they're learning how to talk through watching TV shows. Yeah, so their singing voices are actually impressive. I, yeah, I was just, but I just like the idea of like the human contestants that would be also goofy and hilarious yeah. and be so up in arms that they're competing against gremlins. I guess that brings you into the soundtrack realm. Of who who do the gremlins love? Who is uh, their artist? Yeah, see, I picture them almost not boy band, but like kind of new kids on the block. Like I don't know. <laughs> I don't really see them as solo artists being more in a group. groups. Okay. <laughs> that would be kind of funny to have like a gremlin in sync type of situation. There where you have like the shy one, the sexy one, the older one, <laughs> the one that can't dance. Yeah. <laughs> like Jeremiah was a bullfrog. There we go bringing it back there it is i didn't think we were gonna have that twist in our gremlins 3 film but amazingly enough american idol and the voice are still big deals so there it is there is your gremlins 3 i wonder if people have uh, other opinions we would love to hear about it sequelquestpod at gmail.com you can share your ideas some fan art you can draw up the in sync version of the gremlins or whoever (laughs) i'm totally gonna do that yeah when you imagine Gadget looks like in Mogwai form and in Gremlin form. Yeah, Mogwai so. by day, Gremlin oh. by night. <laughs> so with that, we thank you for listening. Thank you always for being here. Tell your friends. Spread the word. Let the world know in your social media, at work, at the car wash. Just start <laughs> laughing hysterically with an earbud in and be like, what are you listening to? I'm listening to Sequel Quest. Check it out. You know, just any, any way you can do it. If you, if you want to stand on a street corner, with the sign sequel quest they'll start googling us they'll find us we are the only ones the originals we have a lot more planned for this year and more a special guest host coming kelly thank you so much for being here you really brought some fun to the show and thank definitely you. some exclusives we wouldn't have gotten otherwise yeah Having thank you, you back and thanks to chris Wayless so much for the interview everybody go yeah. check that out so thank you so much adam and jeff Hi, Jeremy. You are welcome. And until next time, just don't get them wet and don't feed them (laughs) after midnight. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Sequel Quest and invite you to join us next week for another discussion about a film that never was. Share your ideas with the Sequel Quest universe by visiting SequelQuestPod.com, following us on Twitter at SQPod, on Facebook by searching Sequel Quest, or sending an email to SequelQuestPod at gmail.com. Let the world know how much you enjoy the show by leaving a review and five-star rating on iTunes. ITunes. All films and characters discussed on Sequel Quest are the property of their respective studios and license holders. No copyright infringement is intended. 